much love. Episode 2, it's Widows. Julie, hi. Hello, Renee. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing better now that I'm chatting with you. How are you? I'm good. I'm all right. All right, my kids go back to school next week, so I'm freaking out, but we're going to be okay. Yeah, I'm going to send you nothing but good vibes, and by good vibes, I mean superficial PPE since I don't have any, but it's really what (laughs) your children need to survive this weird time. Oi. Oi. Well, I'm- what, uh, listeners know real fast, though, is that I'm not using a proper mic today, so I don't know how good my audio is going to be. <laughs> we'll see what it sounds like post-production. Anyway, continue, Julie. Bear with us, friends. No, I was going to say, I'm so glad that we're doing this podcast because we need uh, moments of lightness in our lives because, yeah, COVID is going on several months now and the going back to school time is particularly scary. So we're going to distract ourselves with silliness. Yes. So a new little addition to our season two is before we launch into it, every episode, Renee is going to choose a really groundbreaking, um, just like really soul enriching poem from our Lord and Savior, Daniel Steele. Um, Why don't you just take it away, Renee? Blow our minds. Ooh, Okay. I will. Let's see. Okay. So this poem is called Noise. Here we go. Motorcycle. Airplane noises. Hot rock on the stereo in your car. Swift step and static always in the air. Ever quicker. Pace. Hastening. Away. From peace toward noise. Playing volleyball admits the people in your life. Running faster, faster, still, midst your self-created noise that will never kill the angry whispers of your soul. The end. (laughs) Now, I've said this before, uh, but I will tell you that audiences agree. Myra Rose ain't got shit on Renee Cabana Marshall's impressions <laughs> of Danielle Steele. Again, I've, I don't know about you. I've never heard Danielle Steele even speak. Have you? Mm-hmm. I have. So when we got the book in the summer, um, and I kind of posted like a, a quick little sample onto Instagram, I had listened to, um, a clip of her from like the nineties and she's very soft-spoken, and she has a bit of a higher voice, and she likes to talk about her literature like this, very calmly, with her audience. Um, and I, I just, every time I read a poem, it sounds like Moira Rose in my head, so I'm trying to do, like, the Moira Rose inflections with the Daniel Steele voice. I, You know what? I'm sure people are like... Renee, f- stop with the accents. Like, just be yourself. Um, I just no can't do it. <laughs> no. Can't also, stop, won't stop. Also, I'm actually surprised to hear that Danielle Steele is American. For some reason, until this moment, I thought she was British. Maybe because she's so posh. And, like, for those of you who don't know, pick up a Danielle Steele book. Look at the back. She does customized portraits that are based on the theme of the book for each mm-hmm. author photo and it is mm. spectacular but there's just something about the pomp and circumstance that made me think she was british but i guess she's not no, she she real american my favorite one that we found though was the book about clones that was a picture of her and herself i forgot about that one that yeah was that was... Favorite. i don't even know if i bought it i just i loved it and i'll always remember it yeah there was like a western one and then you turn the back and it's just her in a cowboy hat like tipping it yeah. while like a knee up on a fence and shit oh my god but yeah the clones oh there was a time in the 90s when people were very into clones and i think of there were lots of mil- movies about clones and twins and mm-hmm. what have you so she was right on trend but uh thank you for that delightful poem Renee I feel like it really just kicked us off on the right note thank you uh because as you said this week's theme was 
Widows. And last week when we announced that, my theory, your your hope was that there would be some Black Widow action. Mm -hmm. My hope was that because they were widows, they'd have a little more room to be sexual because there's no sort of assumptions around virginity. Um, Speaking solely for my book, I was wrong. Um, My book is laden with slut-shamey type things. So what I read was... A highly respectable widow by Melinda McCray. Uh, this was a paperback that I got from the Valley Village in Edmonton. Um, it was published in January of 92. And Melinda McCray publishes slash did um, mostly Regency era romances. So she loves a little historical romance. And according to the interwebs, her last book was written in 2003. So she wrote for at least a good 10 years. (sighs) Okay. So this fucking book. First of all, the cover. Head to our uh, Twitter or Instagram page, Ravage Love at both to see the cover of this book she looks oof maybe 18 and he looks late 50s like it's real creepy (laughs) like if she wasn't if he wasn't holding her hand and looking down at her chesticles i would be like is this your dad oh so i'm already turned the fuck off (sighs) but the the book opens with edward warrington beauchamp who's the ninth earl of knowlton and he's also a board player. He's just like, ugh, I just get all of these girls and it's too easy. And I'm like, it's not fun anymore. And he's basically, he's literally contemplating all this while he's in bed beside a woman whose name he can't remember. So he decides he needs to take a break from the hustle and bustle of London and these easy to find tramps. And he needs to head home to Warrington in the countryside. So as he's going there, clop clopping with his horse, all of a sudden he starts getting beamed with some plums. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, and not only does he get beamed in the head with the plums, but his horse gets terrified and like bucks him off. And then he's like, Who's, who throws these plums? <laughs> <laughs> and then the horse realizes, oh, they're plums. And it's just like, yum, 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 and eats the plums <laughs> on the ground. And then he literally climbs up the tree and he's like, who goes there? And it's a 10-year-old ginger. So you know he's a real brat and I'm fucking excited. So his name is Robbie. Um, and Robbie Mayfield and his mother, Catherine, rent a house on the estate and little rascally Robbie ran away from his mama and climbed up the plum tree and was like eating them and then thought it would be funny to see if he could hit the dude on the horse. Of course, doesn't realize the dude on the horse. I'm just realizing I sound like Dr. Seuss. Of course, the man on the horse. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the man on the horse does not realize that he's the actual Earl who owns the land. So then he's like, Robbie's like, oh shit, I'm in so much trouble. And the earl finds it funny and kind of amusing and he's like oh hop on my horse we'll go bring you back to your mom's and i'll bring you as many plums as you want and he's like i don't know how to ride a horse and he's like that's a travesty so he goes over to the cottage meets the mom the mom's a smoking hot ginger and he's like oh she must be so fiery like a thousand stereotypes about redheads in this book i can't even tell you uh, uh i mean a hundred percent um i want nothing in this world to more than to be a ginger ginger runs in my family i was not a ginger i'm bitter about it um so Catherine is a widow who lives in this cottage she works as a seamstress doesn't have a lot of money um real grateful that she's able to get these plums from the earl and that the earl's not pissed at her or her son for what he did but he the earl's like looking her up and down and she's like "Uh uh-uh no 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 go fuck yourself so right away he's smitten by the fiery ginger and Edward, so the um, the Earl, uh, really hits it off with Robbie, the kid. And he's like, I'm going to teach you how to ride a horse. And then realizes the kid's like really interested in, in Latin and all of this stuff. And it's like, oh, wow, your mom's really making sure you're getting a good education. And they're like, yeah. And so they end up like hanging out all the time and having sort of this mentorship program or mentorship program, but like this mentorship. Plan <laughs> <laughs> <Play MCA. laughs> It's like the after school program no um yeah he just like mentors him and stuff then they're preparing for the harvest and robbie's like i want to help and then it turns out there's this big event at the harvest where it's like almost 
like a big festival. I picture it as like a county fair. And when they're there, the Earl makes a move and kisses Catherine and she doesn't hate it. But then she starts doing that thing where she's like, I should hate it, but I love it, but I should hate it. Slut shames herself. Yeah, basically slut slut shames herself, even though all she did was kiss him. And then she tells her son, like, stay away from him. Basically, like, you know, we don't want to disturb him, aka, like, he makes me haunt to trot and I don't like it. Then the kid's out, like, trotting around on the horse that Earl bought him a pony. And of course, the kid sucks, so he breaks his leg. So then they have to stay at the big (laughs) the horse and the child. Um turns out the kid's leg is like hella broken so he has to stay in the house with the earl because he can't go anywhere so the mom is like oh shit like i don't want to live here with this dude my reputation and he's like basically oh don't worry i've already thought of that i've invited my friend's wife to come and stay with us so no one questions why i'm staying with you and it won't ruin your reputation and make you look like a whore then it begins this cat and mouse thing where she doesn't want to like him, but she does. And then she's trying to tame him and he wants to claim her, but also is just like, I just want a mistress. I don't want a wife. And she's too chaste and blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, she just like keeps catching him like, oh, she's, but he's so good with Robbie. And then like this woman brings her kid around. and He's like, oh, my God, he's so good with the babies. Maybe he is a family man. Blah, 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 blah. Anyways, buys her a fancy ass gown to go to this thing. Of course, it's green because when you're a ginger, everyone makes you wear green. green. So she wears this fancy gown. He can't resist her. He like seduces her in a kind of an aggro way. But anyways, they're making out and then they're interrupted by someone. And he's like, Oh no. Oh no. Um, and then he tells himself, okay, next time I see her, I'm going to seal the deal. Meanwhile, he also then says to her afterwards, like, I will take care of you. I will, you know, make sure that you can live here and then, and, and, and she, but you're only going to be my mistress. And he's like, she's like, fuck you. So anyway, she returns to her cottage and is all offended. She's like, I'm nobody's hussy. And basically she feels like he wants, like, she's like, I'm not going to whore myself out just so that you can like pay for my child's education. Like that's gross. I'm like, mm, you're shaming sex workers, but that's fine. Um, so then she goes back to her cottage. Her son's healed up. She goes back to her cottage and she's like, fuck it. We're going back to London to finish some business. And at this point you're like, what's the business? Well, it turns out her husband wasn't just some dude who got killed in the war. He was like the some famous piece of royalty person. Oh. So she, she, yeah, so he was royal and she shows up to so she goes to London and she confronts her father-in-law and it turns out her father-in-law never approved of the marriage because she was lower class. And then when the son died, the father-in-law tried to take custody of Robbie and she was like, fuck you, and took Robbie and ran away to this cottage. So now she rolls back in and the father-in-law is like, oh, what do you want now? She's like, well, I just want you to pay for his education. I don't want anything else from you. I just want Robbie to be able to get ahead in life. And he does this whole like, I don't know, let me meet him, make sure he's not a piece of shit, which I'm like, he's 10. Anyways, so shows up. Throws and plums. <laughs> he throws plums. The worst. At horses. Anyways, he's got good manners. She's, you know, making him go to school. Like she's teaching him at home and stuff. So he, the guy's like, oh, it's actually worth investing in this kid's education. So she's like, okay, this sucks. But now I can live in London and I'll have a roof over my head and my kid will get an education. But back on the friggin' estate, the old Earl is like fucking thirsty for this fiery ginger and can't get out get her out of his head so then he's like fuck it i'm just gonna go back to london and i'm just gonna like go to a cat house bang a bunch of women and then just get this woman out of my head not knowing of course that catherine has gone back to london he just knows that she up and left the cottage and because no one including us readers knew anything about her fancy life in london he has no clue he's just like well this woman bounced and i guess i'm just gonna go to london and like yeah bang some sluts and then move on with my life um meanwhile in london she's trying to settle into her new life as like part of high society and then of course they have a meet cute situation at like a ball um and she's still like ugh, you know i'm not interested in what you're putting forward basically i'm a classy lady I want a husband or nothing at all. And it also comes out in her yelling at him about something that she's a vicar's daughter. And she's like that. And that's why she really takes education seriously and like your responsibility seriously. And then somehow the the Earl like uses that as his reason to apologize because he's like, oh, of course you didn't want to be my mistress. You're a respectable widow. Bah, bah, bah. One. 
like you said the title of the book so i'm already here for it <laughs> um so then they continue to have like a thousand run-ins and it's again this like cat and mouse game that's like blech. um then turns out that they're this guy named belton is trying to court her and everyone around her is saying like he's good people he'd be a really good husband he'd be a good father and she's like he has all of the things that i want but I'm just not interested in him. And then, of course, Belton proposes. She's like, I need some time to think about it. And then decides that she's like, I'd rather be alone and unhappy forever than settle for this guy. So I'm feeling this. Yeah. Uh, but then they're at another party. And she's explaining to him, like, I'm, I might, you know be spending the rest of my life with Belton. And the Earl is like, you don't love him. And then they get into a fight and it's like out of a musical from the 50s like she slaps him and then he takes her hand and then they ravishly make out um and then someone walks in again so then they're like oh, no so then <laughs> she she runs back to her house and then gets a letter from him that's basically an apology letter to again save her reputation because he knows she's being courted by someone else and he does he doesn't want people to think that she's a hussy um and then she says tells tells belton i'm not interested i'd rather be alone he's like okay handles it like a man which i appreciated um and then edward the earl comes around proposes and she's like yes and that's <laughs> where it ends <sighs> so this book was about 235 pages it was basically cat and mouse the entire time the only genital description was groin at one point, and there is zero fucking. Mm -hmm. Zero fucking. Now, I will admit that I was biased against this book from the jump because I am deeply turned off by players. Like, I'm just deeply turned off by men who their whole personality is that they're prolific daters. Like, I just, I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so I already hated him, but I did love her. And I did love that, like, she seemed to be a woman a little bit more advanced for her time in the sense of, like, I will not settle unless I get what I want, which seemed pretty badass. Mm -hmm. um, and there's supposed to be sexual tension throughout of this, like, cat and mouse game of, like, will he, won't he, blah, blah, blah. But I just didn't feel it. And I think, like I said, I just saw him as, like, a grimy bunum. So I'm going to give it one jar of very mild salsa. <laughs> out of five <laughs> <laughs> that's my spice factor there was very little spice i was tempted to give it zero but i was like maybe if you didn't have such a like a hate boner for this guy like i did you might actually find the tit for tat like kind of hot but i couldn't be bothered i was like bitch run take your fiery fiery self <laughs> elsewhere and that's it that's a respectable oh sorry a highly respectable widow by melinda mccray she sounds like she's highly respectable for she, sure. She sure is. <laughs> um, what'd you read, Renee? Oh my god. This book, <laughs> Julie. I'm already excited. Left me so angry Ooh. that I woke up with a period this morning. Oh no! And you know how difficult that is to happen to my body. Uh, absolutely. I woke up with a period and that was just, you know, that's just how bad this book was. My book was The Waltzing Widow by Joan <laughs> Smith, who's of Kingston, Ontario. Ooh. She stopped writing in 1998, but she is known for her Regency romances, much like yours. This was a Regency book. Um... Oh, I'm going to dive in because it was the fucking worst thing I've ever read in this oh. entire podcast. Oh. I And here's the thing. I had a donation drive with my friends last week and I was like, oh shit, I had better read this book. Um, and so I sat down and like, I couldn't stop reading it. I was like, this is all right. I, you know, it had like, you know, Pride and Prejudice vibes. I'm like, okay, I can read this. Um, but like, Nothing happened. Nothing happens in this book. It's bullshit. So here we go. <laughs> here are our characters. Lucy Perry, 22. She's an heiress. Uh, her Aunt Perry, who's a widow, and her uncle, Bishop Norris, who is a bishop. 
Now, Lucy has been scandalized because she was being courted by a man named Ronald Pewter, who was a fortune hunter and, quote, a scoundrel. <laughs> yes! So we find out that Ronald Pewter was after her fortune and was just using her. Um, we find out because his, the uncle offers him money to leave, which he takes. And then they just, like, um, cancel the check. And they're like, fuck you! And I was like, haha, justice! But... <laughs> This is in the spring season in London. So now Lucy has been scandalized. Everybody knows what happened. So she has, she decides she's going to leave town until the fall season because she's a socialite. Um, so they decide her aunt and her that they're going to go find a cottage in a small little town. Um, and Lucy is going to pr pretend to be a married woman. Um, and they're not going to let on about her fortune. They're going to do that so, like, fortune hunters don't come around so that she can just, like, live her fucking life in peace, let the whole thing blow over, uh, become less enraged, and then return to society in the fall. So that's what they do. Um, now, Avedon, Adrian Avedon, <laughs> Lord Adrian Avedon, um, is a piece of shit who owns a vast estate. His nephew, Tony Bigelow, um, as he's known to his friends, Jesus, is a 20-year-old young man, um, and he is a very loving young man. And his family, who are very wealthy, are very worried about the type of women he hangs out with because he is not at all, like hoity-toity and uppity about like the status of people so in before um lucy comes to town he's been running around with a widow who has like three children and he spends his money on them he gets ice cream with them like just spends time with them really nice guy real nice guy <laughs> but uncle avadon's like this is preposterous and so he fucking ships her and her kids off somewhere i don't know where we never hear from them again but oh my god that puts into play the fact that Avedon and his sister, Lady Sarah, are working very, very hard to keep Tony away from undesirable women um, because they want to keep the money in the family. So, um, Avedon puts out an advert to get a, um, a lodger for the summer. Um, and then they write to him as like, I'm a married woman. My husband's in the military. I'm just looking for a cottage for the summer. And they're like, she's respectable. We must take her in. So they do, they take her, they rent this cottage. And then Tony, who actually owns the cottage, um, goes over to visit to be like, Hey, welcome to my cottage. Hope you like it. Um, and Lucy realizes that Tony's real cute. So she's like, but what if I was a widow? So she decides to change her status to being a widow. So the only widow in this book, Julie, is Aunt Perry, who never waltzes. She never uh, waltzes. Oh, no, no, don't like that. So right off the bat, I've been buffaloed. <laughs> Didn't start well for me. So she, she wants to hang out with Tony. She has no interest in him. He's 20. She's 22. Obviously too old for him. Um, and decides, like, she, she just wants somebody to hang out with. But it would be more respectful. It would be easier for her to do that if she was a widow, I guess. She's going to be flirty or whatever. So because she changes her status from like wife to widow, immediately Avedon, Avedon's asshole just puckers right up. <laughs> and he's like, what kind of respectable woman? And then Lady Sarah, same thing. She's like, she's trying to ensnare Tony. The inheritance must stay in the family. Um, so they devise a plan to get Lucy out of the house. They don't want her on their property. They don't want her to like entrap Tony. So Avedon fucking just digs up all the property around her house. What? Yeah, he just digs it up. He's like, I'm laying tiles. I'm like, is she in a field? Like why, what, what's happening? So they dig up, he digs up all of the earth around this cottage. He's like, you'd better go. And she's like, no, fuck you. Like I paid to live here. He's like, I'll give you your money back. She's like, no, fuck you. So they dig up all this land. So she decides because she's fucking hot as hell that she's going to just like kind of bat her eyes at, at Tony and get what she needs. So she's like, 
oh, Tony, could I please buy a cow and some chickens from you? And he's like, better yet, I'll give them to you. And so Avedon is pissed because he's like, she's fucking using him and she's beating me. Um, so he decides to like put the ground back in because <laughs> she's not giving up. <clears throat> and then, uh, oh my God, this, this is such a stupid fucking book, Julia. I even wrote it out. <laughs> I wrote it out like beat for beat what happened here. And it's just horseshit. I don't, I, it's so, uh, oh my God. Okay. So <laughs> Lady Sarah, Lady Sarah is f- married to Dr. Rutledge, who's a deacon. And Dr. Rutledge is up for promotion to like archdeacon or bishop, like Pope. Like, I don't fucking know, but she's playing the game because she's a rich ass nosy posy woman from like fucking pride and prejudice times who just, her whole job is like spreading gossip and getting her fingers wet. Like that's just what she does. So, um, the other thing to Lisa is that she's like a money grubber. Like she's just so greedy. That's why, like, this whole thing's about her keeping the inheritance in the family. Mm. But there's literally a chapter, Julie, at the very beginning, where they find out this this woman and her aunt, who's her chaperone, are coming to this house. And she's like, what if we sold her the ass's milk? And you're like, what? Like, she's like, you know, they would take that ass's milk. And you're like, what the fuck? And they talk about ass's milk (laughs) for a whole chapter (laughs) they just mean mule milk milk from a donkey that is what they mean but there's a whole chapter dedicated to ass's milk and so i just have a note on that because it needed to be said absolutely so nobody knows lucy's rich as fuck the reason lucy is rich is because her brother died in a war and then her father died of grief and so as he was dying he decided to sell all his assets and property to bequeath uh, Lucy with a large inheritance. So she's worth 60,000 pounds of like Regency era money, whatever that means. So she rich as fuck, but nobody knows. Nobody knows. So there's a subplot. There's a fucking subplot in this book. Of course, where lady Sarah is devising creepy ways to get her husband appointed to that like archdeacon position. So she's constantly harassing Avedon into putting in a good word for him. And he's like, I have bigger fish to fry right now. There's a whore living in a cottage. <laughs> um, oh, God. Okay, so we know Sarah's obsessed with ass's milk. Avedon <laughs> digs up the fucking property. Lucy's rich. She, she doesn't give a shit. She's not interested in any of these guys. She's just trying to like get on with her fucking life. So, um, fixes the road. Lucy goes to town with Tony so he can help her like pick up supplies to clean her fucking house because it's full of dust. And Avedon catches them and he's like, oh shit, she's hot. And uh, then he's like, she's obviously trying to just trap him. And then, and then. So he decides that she's a liar and a fortune hunter. And then they decide he and uh, Sarah that they're going to write to people they know in the city that Lucy says her husband died in. She's basically pretending that her brother is her husband. Yeah. Um, Just so she can have a fucking quiet summer. (laughs) This is her summer break. This cottage is her Florida. And this fuck, he's, Mm. he's a dick. Okay. So. (sighs) Okay. Are you okay? This book made no sense. It was stupid. Okay, so she, he's like, she's a liar. She's a light skirt, which means like she a whore, basically. Um, And she um, meets his uncle cousin named Morton Carlton. And Morton's a nice guy. He's 39. um, And he's just like a worldly man. So he's like, listening to these stories from his family about this woman. He's like, no, she's like a real lady. Like I would know I'm, <laughs> but he's also super nice. So he's like a super nice guy. He's hanging out with Lucy, the younger guy, Tony, who's 20s hanging out with Lucy. They're super nice, very eligible men. Right. Yeah. Sounds like it. But Abaddon cannot pull his underwear out of his asshole long enough <laughs> to not think that this is just a huge fucking lie. So he, 
realizes he can't really beat her because every everything he tries to throw at her, she like just like gracefully um, sidesteps or like waits him out like the whole bit. So he decides, well, since we're on good terms now, I'm going to take her to my sea house on, you know, my house by the sea um, because I want to just like deal her one more harsh blow. And he takes her there and then he makes it seem as though he wants to propose to her, which this whole time I'm like, but you're a dick. Like you're a yeah, dick. You're a yeah. fucking dick. Yeah. And so she's like, oh my God, is he proposing? He's not Julie. Julie, in the Regency era, the term carte blanche is a proposal to a woman to become a mistress. Mm-hmm. And he offers her a carte blanche. Now, Lucy, who's furious at this point, is not is not going to take this line down. So she's like, let me think about it. But we came here so you could do business. So why don't you go do that business? And I'll wait here and give you my answer when you return. And he's like, cool. <laughs> I'm such an asshole. So he runs away. So she steals his cart and horses <laughs> and leaves him there. Um, Love to see it. Love yeah. to see it. Like she does not miss a beat, this girl. So I'm, I feel for her. I like her a lot. Um, so she heads back to the city, but she doesn't tell anybody what happened. Um, and she goes home and he shows up just like furious. Um, and then he goes to her house to like tear her a new asshole basically. And she is just like in tears at this point. So then she shows him her brother's death certificate to be like, no, like he's dead. How dare you? And he's like, Oh shit. I was such a dick. Oh no. But, but, but before he went to his, her house, he had already gone over to fucking lady Sarah and um like his other relatives to be like she's a liar everything she said is a lie um and then he goes over there he basically gets told and then he's like oh shit so he decides to like run back to the house to tell them it was he was wrong um but then carl morton carlton who's like the uncle cousin who's been friends with lucy this whole time decides he's been duped so he's pissed and he's like i'm gonna run over there and tell her what's what but at this point she's like I need to just tell somebody the truth. Like this is getting out of hand. So she <laughs> decides to tell Morton the whole truth. And he's like, Oh, he's like, you know what? I understand. That makes sense. Okay. It's like, that makes sense. He's like, but let's not, let's not tell anybody just yet. And she's like, all right. So there had been a trip planned to go visit Bishop Norris in Canterbury, where he is a Bishop at Canterbury cathedral. So Morton's like, well, you know what? I got, I got business there. Why don't I drive you? And she's like, cool. So they go and they go and visit her uncle. And the uncle's like, this is great. I'm happy to see you guys. He's planning on going back to the cottage to visit. Um, but Avedon hears that she's left very early for a trip with Morton. And he immediately assumes that they're going to get married. Okay. So he hops on a horse and Tony's like, I'm coming with you. So Tony comes and they just book it to Canterbury on these horses, but they get fucking filthy in the process. Like just disgusting. And then Tony decides to stop at a little like inn to clean up and eat. And then he's like, you know what? He's like, I'm not excited about this anymore. So I'm not coming with you. Um, meanwhile, like Avedon's obsessively looking at like every inn and like shop and everything to try and find her. Um, and like just to stress, he's been awful to her this whole entire time. Just awful. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he ends up at Canterbury and then Morton and, and Lucy are leaving the building, but he looks like, so Avedon shows up and he looks like a fucking ghoul because he's covered <laughs> in mud and shit. And then they're like, buddy, like you need to leave. And he's like, I challenge you to a duel. And they're like, hmm, like for what? Like, no, buddy. Like, no. And so then he punches Carlton on the doors of Canterbury Cathedral. Whew. And her uncle comes out and he's like, this this is bullshit and you need to go. Um, and then Avedon's like, I'm so embarrassed. Um, and he leaves and he heads back. So they all come back. The bishop comes with Lucy and Lady Sarah's like, we must have him over for dinner because I can get him to get my husband that appointment at the church. This is the subplot of this whole fucking story is getting like a dude in the church. Anyway, so they have this dinner and 
Um, the bishop's like, you know, like I would, I can put in a good word for him. He's like, but because the church keeps appointing Tory supporting clergy, your husband, who's a Whig supporter, will never get the position. Like, I don't give a shit. I don't give no. a shit. This is not romance. This is fucking politics. So Lucy doesn't pay a lot of mind to this guy over dinner. They do some like fucking gambling. And then Car- Morton and Avedon decide they're going to go to uh, London and then like basically poke at people to start like a scandal in the media about how the church keeps appointing Tory clergymen so that they can get their brother-in-law in this position and it works and he returns. And then he proposes to Lucy and she's like, yeah. All right. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, that's all I'm, that's all I'm going to tell you about this book because nothing else happened there was like back and forth obviously he's trying to destroy her life the whole entire book like actively trying to destroy her life starve her like everything he calls her like a whore like all of these things the whole book and she still decides to marry him when there's two other extremely eligible people available or who are are not scumbags who are not scumbags and i'm gonna i'm gonna explain to you I'm going to give you one example of how scummy this guy is versus the other members of his family. So um, at this point, Lady uh, or Lucy is hanging out with Morton, who's the worldly older relative. And Morton's like, do you want a dog? Like, I have some puppies. Do you want a puppy? And she's like, yeah, you know what? I would love a puppy. That'd be really nice. Thank you. Let's go get a puppy. So they go and they get a puppy. And then Avedon, who's like jealous as fuck now, he's like, well, why didn't you come for me to me for a puppy? And she's like, well, I just, I already, I already have a puppy. Like I don't need another puppy. And he's like, well, I have a whole bunch of puppies. And he's like, she's like, well, okay. But like, I don't, I don't need another one. He's like, well, I might as well drown them then. <laughs> I'm sorry. She, what? Yeah. He's like, well, I might as well go drown these puppies. And she's like, um, please don't, please don't drown those puppies. And then he's like, well, I would, but they're very valuable. So he decides not to drown the puppies. But earlier, um morton straight up says that he would never kick a puppy he would never kick a dog i don't remember how it came up but he's just like no he's like i would never i would never hurt a dog like dogs are beautiful like they're precious so on the one hand there's the worldly lovely older gentleman who states very clearly he would never kick a puppy (laughs) and then there's avidad who very clearly has severe anger issues Uh uh-huh and wants to drown a bag of puppies <laughs> and she decides to go with the puppy killer who has full-blown meltdowns the whole entire book and then at the end when he proposes to her he blames her for the whole entire miscommunication and his behavior and she's like <laughs> you're right and that's how the book ends how the book ends and it, there were two kisses the whole entire book, there was no sexual tension there. They just implied the whole time that like she was a whore, but yet there was no- nothing happened. Like nothing happened. Why? Yeah. It's, this was a trash book. It gave me a period. I hated it. I hated every <laughs> moment. I'm angry. Um, here's what I did do though. <clears throat> I wrote down every single word they use in this book. That's horse shit. Oh, Okay. I'm going to read them for you. Please you do. Ninny Hammer. <laughs> Who with an H. By Jove. Dandy. Nip Cheese. Um, butter Toothed. Farouche. Skint. Chit. What the deuce? Opprobrium. Chally Beat. Coes. Saucy Baggage, which I liked that one. <laughs> Hither and Tither. They used in a sentence. Bibelot? Bibelot? Oh, they use the term Shanghai. Exactly <laughs> how you think they'd use the term Shanghai. Oh, boy. Chicanery, which I wrote down because that's my mom's favorite word. Um, <laughs> cocker. Curled beaver. Hussy light skirt wench and hoyden. There were others, but I stopped there. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, 
So this I'm going to assume yeah. you're not going to give it any points for spiciness. Is that a no. proper assumption? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to refer to the one meal they share together as a community and it gets zero out of five ham and white sauce. <laughs> wow. That is a scathing review. I hated every minute of this story and I'm resentful at Joan Smith for writing it. And I'm resentful to whoever put it in a thrift store for me to find. Um, they meant they used the term waltzing widow in this book. They actually say waltzing widow, just like in your book, they said the mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, at one point, literally Avedon thinks to himself, is it perhaps because of my pride that I'm prejudiced towards this woman? Oh no. That was, oh. sloppy. was sloppy writing Joan Smith. <sighs> Glad you're retired. Same. Hard same. Well, do you want to give us a tiny little sampling then? Just so we could really get a taste of how atrocious this was? I picked the shortest thing I could give you, and it's kind of like the only joke in the book. Sort of. You might even miss it, so we'll see. (laughs) So this is a conversation between Tony, Morton Carlton, Lady Sarah, Adrian Avedon, and Lady Bigelow, who is Tony's mother. All right. The evening was only half over for the guests when they departed from Rose Cottage. Except for the vicar and his wife, the party repaired to Shenley to discuss the evening over a fresh pot of tea. That was a damned dull scald playing Pope Joan for pennies. We carried the thing off pretty slick, though, Tony congratulated himself. The old boy never twigged to it. Uh, that we thought Lucy had gone off harrying with Morton. Mind you, I don't see that it would have made any difference if he'd caught on. I mean to say, it's not as though we had done anything wrong. I do wish I had seen that row outside the cathedral. Who was it, Morton? No one you know, Tony. A chap I met in London. Why was he beating you? Was it about horses, money, or women? Cards. And speaking of cards, Sal, you owe me three shillings. That is what I let Norris win from me. Lady Sarah never heard any conversation that was likely to cost her money. I fear John's chances are very slim with this business of a Tory government, she said to Avedon. It seems so unfair. What you ought to do is make a stink about it, Tony said. I mean to say it ain't right, is it? The Tories giving all the plums to their own true blues? You think uh, we was back in the days of Henry VIII raping the monasteries? Watch your language, dear, his mother said. (laughs) About the only meaningful word in the conversation for her was rape. It still happens all the time, Lady Sarah said sadly. Surely not around here, Lady Bigelow exclaimed. We're talking of nepotism, Isabel, Lady Sarah explained. Lady uh, Lady Bigelow shook her head in uh, consternation. What's next? I was Australian there, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Lady Sarah smiled her patient smile. John was explaining before I left that Sir Alfred Harrison was made governor of some outlandish province in India over Mr. Seton's head when Seton had more experience. But of course, Seton is a Whig, so his 20 years faithful service counted for naught. I was happy to see the Times made a fuss over the issue. Avedon and Mr. Carlton exchanged a sharp, questioning look. Indeed they did, Avedon said. It was Pritchard's who wrote the series of articles. He was at Christ Church with me, Carlton said. The idea can't come from us directly. Uh, (laughs) 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 We'll have to get someone else to approach Pritchard's. And do it immediately before the appointment is made, Avedon added. There was excitement in the air. Lady Sarah felt it before she quite figured out its cause. As sharp as a tack, she soon uh, divined their meaning cause a public ruckus in the press of the house and shame the government into making a wig appointment, you mean? She asked. Exactly, her brother smiled. If we can get a few prestigious gents breathing flames down their necks, they won't dare hand another plum to one of their own. We'd better make a dot to London tomorrow and get working on it, Mr. Carlton said. He saw the quick frown that flitted across Avedon's face. Love-making can wait, cousin. A man may marry any time, but if John doesn't get his appointment now, he'll have to wait many a long year for another opportunity. He's right, dear, Lady Sarah said urgently. And meanwhile, I shall see that dear Lucy is kept safe for you. 
It won't take more than a day, two at most, Avedon decided and agreed to go to London. What are they talking about? Lady Isabel asked her son. If it's preventing all these horrid rapes, you ought to go with them, Tony. Of course I shall go, he said, throwing consternation into the rest of the group. So the joke is that the mom is stupid. <laughs> she thought they were talking about rapes. That's the joke. The only joke in the book. <laughs> oh, man. Whew. All right. Well, that's a yeah. tough act to follow, bud. I don't think it is. <laughs> I really don't think it is. <laughs> okay. I'm also going to, I'm going to read you a short little piece um, that just basically gives you a sense of really how douchey this guy is. I feel like we've just all gone to a bar slash met this guy before. Who's just like, mm, all the bitches want me. Um, <laughs> So just a refresher, Earl of Knowlton is the guy she ends up with, and Catherine Mayfield is who the fiery ginger he spends the whole book pursuing. <clears throat> After Mrs. Mayfield's departure, Knowlton sat back in his worn leather chair with a self-satisfied smirk. The victory over Robbie's pony pleased him. Whatever else came between him and Mrs. Mayfield, he did not want to see Robbie hurt. He must keep his relationship with the lovely widow and her son separate. He knew that now, and felt a twinge of guilt for ever thinking he could use Robbie to ingrate himself with his mother. It simply would not do. There were other methods of conquering Mrs. Mayfield's fortress. His face broke into a broad grin as he remembered how her emotions had swung from one end of the pendulum to the other and back during their conversation. He meant to keep her off balance so she would not be able to readily marshal her defenses. Let her wonder just what his game was. As long as he did not rush his fences, it might just be the proper strategy to take. He did not know when the pursuit of a woman had so entertained him. Perhaps that had been the source of so much of his boredom in London. There had been no need of pursuit. From the diamonds of the Demimonde to the leaders of the Ton, they had pursued him. His only problem had been in deciding where to bestow his favors among the many offers. No wonder he had grown jaded. The pursuit of Mrs. Mayfield was just the thing he needed to restore his enthusiasm. Despite her present poverty, he suspected she had known much better times. It would certainly account for her stubborn refusal to accept assistance. Her adamant attitude only showed how much she resented her current situation. That was something he could easily rectify. She would not be as skilled a lover as he was accustomed to, but that was no matter. Technique could easily be taught if the pupil was willing. And with that flaming hair, he had no doubt of her suitability. It would be only one more delightful advantage to the situation, the opportunity to awaken a less experienced woman to her sensual nature. Although he had been often pleased, satisfied, and sometimes even a little amazed at the skills of his many bed partners, there was something to be said for molding a partner to suit his own particular preferences. It would be a most pleasurable task. Whew. The anticipation of the prize, for he held no doubts of his ultimate success with Mrs. Mayfield, began to have a decided effect. Briefly, he contemplated a minor dalliance to take the edge off his growing hunger. There were several delectable prospects within easy riding distance of Warrington, but no, he decided, it was all part of the game. His enforced celibacy would only heighten his pleasure at the pent-up release. He would await Mrs. Mayfield's capitulation with growing eagerness. It was time, however, that he take steps to further his aims. He must move quickly to solidify the gains made today. With the harvest home less than two weeks away, if the weather held and the crops were brought in on time, he had a perfect goal to aim for. He would slowly reel Mrs. Mayfield into his net, then pounce when he judged her sufficiently entangled. Knowlton shifted in his chair, his mind caught in a reverie that involved removing every last hairpin from Mrs. Mayfield's unswept tresses, allowing that flaming mass to swirl around her shoulders. Then, with a shrug at such at such precipitate thinking, he cleared his mind of her. He would never admit to being bored at Warrington, but he did concede he would not mind some company. That matter could easily be remedied. The shooting would be excellent in a few weeks, and he knew there would be no lack of takers for any invitations he tendered. Seb Cole would come, if he was not already committed to a rendezvous at some other house with whatever new flirt he had acquired, and he really should ask Hartford and Drummond and Pelham. They were never averse to a convivial gathering, and of course, Wentworth. At that name, he paused. He thought Summers would come, but now that he was married with a fat, drooling little daughter ensconced in his nursery, he might not wish to. Marriage had a way of changing a man. 
Knowlton would never criticize his closest friend for marrying, although that event had shocked Knowlton to the core. It was too close for comfort. Knowlton had nothing against marriage, actually. It was a useful institution for some. He had a deep certainty, though, that it was not for him. Constancy was not part of his nature, and no woman had ever captured his interest long enough for him to doubt that supposition. He preferred matters as they were, even if his last mistresses had driven him to boredom in less than a month. Knowlton shrugged. He would take care to choose more carefully in the future. He suspected Mrs. Mayfield would not begin to bore him for a long, long time. That thought set off another reverie, this one involving the creamy white shoulders that he knew must lie beneath Mrs. Mayfield's high-necked gowns. Okay, so first of all, this bitch in a virgin, she has a child, okay? So to just start off from the jump of like, mm, she's not nearly as experienced as I am, but I will train her in my ways, is like some faux daddy dom bullshit that I am not here for. And that's really the tone of this entire book. This dude mm. thought he was so hot, so cool, thought everyone was like lucky to be in his presence. And I respected how hard she pushed back but then eventually fell for him because the romance world wants us to know that deep down inside all men can be fixed disappointing week you know actually while you were reading i got a text um from the canadian space station that said they saw my eye roll so (laughs) fair yeah fair um disappointing week i will never ever Read another Regency novel, ever. Oh, yeah, that's that's a promise. That's a promise. And I love historical fiction. Like, the weeks that we've done works yeah. books that are historical, usually that's my jam. When we're not on the podcast, the types of books I read are typically historical fiction. I love that shit. This week was an utter disappointment. But I have extremely high hopes for next week, Renee. Me too. Do we want to tell them what next week is? Oh, I want to tell everybody so bad. Can I, can I do it? Yes, you can and you should. We are reading books with Fabio on the cover. Oh! So excited. We found just a small fortune of them in our Mm -hmm. thrift shopping. So the only thing these books have in common is that Fabio's sexy ass face slash chest (laughs) is bared on the cover of these bad boys. I don't even know what my book is about. I have no idea what my book is about. (laughs) (laughs) I just know he's all on the cover with windswept hair and no shirt. Oh, I'm pumped. Well, I'm glad you survived this um, very difficult reading. Um, I think you should add it to the list of accomplishments for 2020 because this year was a struggle. And I think succeeding this speaks to your resiliency, if I will. Um, But I'm glad it's over. And I look, I look forward to next week. Um, I would, I'd like to ask though, from now on, that if you describe me to anybody, you refer to me as saucy baggage, because oh. I really, really related with that, and it's the only thing I've taken away from this book. You're absolutely correct, and I will make sure that that's also on your gravestone. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. I'm here for you. All right, Julie, you want to sing us out? Sure do. <clears throat> Ravage love. Ravage love. Bye. Bye. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS the number two J show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com.